I grew up here, actually. I moved here when I was seven or eight years old and then lived here through high school. My family moved back to L.A. I went to college and then I moved back. But as pretty much as soon as I moved back to New York, I started touring with another band. So I was in and out. And um, my lease on my place was up last April and I finally moved away, sadly. Finally, it makes it sound like you're ramping up to that. No, Well, I mean, in the sense that, you know, my place was a glorified storage unit and was just full of instruments that were you know dying in the cold so now they're dying in the unseasonably warm weather in los angeles do you consider yourself to just be a transitory person by the nature of what you do now for sure but new york i mean i i am a city kid i grew up here i feel most comfortable walking and taking the train so la is the city for you well, I yeah, it's funny how much I've adapted to it, but I don't like driving as much. I got into driving, and I do enjoy it more, but I miss the walking. Yeah. If I have a doctor's appointment on you know, like 89th Street, I'd walk from here, for example. I love that. Having spent a significant amount of time in both cities, are, obviously you've, at this point in your life, gravitated toward Los Angeles. I ended up there because of voice work, actually. Okay. Um, I didn't think that I was going to end up being a musician. The band that I played with mostly before stopped touring. He went off to do another record, um, and I moved out to L.A. because I was making most money in voice work. What do you mean by voice work? Voiceover? Yeah, I actually was on the radio for a while, and then... Lost that job and then moved into like narration, documentaries, commercials, that kind of stuff. So that's where the work is, is Los Angeles. I mean, I can do it here. And when I'm here, I I go into studios on 42nd Street and do jobs. But Los Angeles is really the hub for it. So I moved out there not intending to be a touring musician and then kind of stumbled into it. And my agency has actually been really lovely about it because when I signed with them, they were like, so are you going to be off traveling the world? And I was like, oh, no, I'm done with that. Like, my musical career is over. And I had no idea. At the ripe old age. Yeah, whenever that was, 27. But yeah, I thought it was done. And then this whole thing happened. And then I had to go to them and be like, sorry, guys. Can I still work for you when I'm home? Let's back up even further. Yeah. What did you study? I studied mostly literature and poetry, but I really took advantage of, you know, the privilege of a liberal arts education. I studied science. Sure. I guess you could be a poet with poetry, but like so many other liberal arts education, the kind of primary path for most of these is to end up like back in the teaching field. Did you have a clear vision of what you wanted to do? Um, I wanted to be an actor, actually, Mm -hmm. a theater actor and a writer. I've always been primarily a writer. And uh, so that was that was always the the path, no matter what way that it went. Voiceover, I guess, is is a pretty natural progression from wanting to be an actor. Oh yeah, because I also hate the camera. So I, I yeah. <laughs> you found the one loophole. Yeah, I found the one loophole. It's like I can show up in my pajamas yeah. as I am now, everyone. What was the plan to be an actor who hated being on camera? Stage. Okay. Yeah. How, how is that different? Do you, no camera. It's just not captured for, for posterity. Yeah. Well, it's there's something different about it. I just don't. I'm too expressive for film acting. Like you could have been like a good old-timey silent movie. Old-timey silent movie actor or like a slapstick comedian. I wouldn't – there's very little subtlety in my face and I can't really help that. And so people – when I'm singing on stage – the expressions I make are truly hilarious and twisted. I was watching the um, the Slayer videos. Oh, yeah. And you're like beaming. Yeah, well, that was the best. But it was just like (laughs) – You know, especially somebody who, like, has been in and around indie rock for yeah. very many years now. To see somebody enjoy themselves playing music is, it's like a treat. 
Oh, well, thank you. It's taken a long time to get here. I um, started off exceedingly tense because I didn't think of myself as a musician and felt like I was sort of thrust upon the stage. In the band that I played with before, my friend asked me to play in his band, and I was like, I can't play. I don't play instruments. You can mention your famous friend's name. Oh, <laughs> it's Elvis Perkins. Yeah. He said, you, you know, come be in my band. You're great. You can play harmonium and auto harp as it's in that as it is in that Slayer video. Which is, I suspect, are pretty rare things to come by when looking for people for your rock band. Actually, that reminds me, very funnily, there were a couple of um, shows we played toward the end of our... I still play bass with him whenever and auto harp whenever I can, but toward the end of our like big touring run, we would get chants of, more zither from the crowd, which was very funny. But no, he... I showed up, I was like, fine, I can play auto harp and harmonium in your band. And then he handed me a bass and was like, oh, and by the way, you're the bass player. And I said, I've never played the bass before mm. in my life. And, I, and he said, well, I know you can do it. And, um... So I ended up basically taking three months and applying myself and not doing anything else, really, and just learning all of his music, which is complex. I mean, his songs are not intuitive. If you think that there's going to be a minor chord, it'll end up being a major. And all these modulations, it's it's not easy to learn. And I just applied myself. And then basically for the first four months of playing with him was just so intense and hardcore focused on playing music, you know, playing it right. I get that he wanted some specific instruments in, in, in the mm -hmm. repertoire, but what do you think it is that he saw in you where he was like, I know you don't really want to be in a band, and I know you've never played this instrument before, and you're the person that I'm going to have in my band playing this instrument. Well, he saw in me this sort of like, for all of that rigidity and intensity of those first few months, a freedom with music and musicality. And also this sense of, like, the beginner's mind, which is mm. what I sort of still how I approach music. We're talking about, like, Zen Buddhism here. Sure, like, yeah. yeah. Just in the sense that, I mean, I consider myself to be a student every day, and I'm always learning, and I don't have a, an affixed conception of how music should be played or, or what music should be. So it's a little bit of that sort of punk aesthetic of not coming to this necessarily with, like, classical training or set ideas of what it should sound like. Sure. And I think also... Just there's something to be said for emotionality and expression and freedom as something that speaks to people often more than technical talent. This is probably isn't the case for him, you know, especially with given the fact that he recruited you. But I do get the idea that a lot of people when they're, you know, fronting a band don't want someone who's going to kind of take the spotlight away from them. I don't I think he wasn't really worried about that. I don't think that had to do with it. I think it's just that sometimes you'll get people who are exceedingly brilliant and exceedingly well-trained at their instruments, and they don't want to move out of a box. And everything that he wanted to be done was out of the box. Mm. Also, for example, he wanted very certain, very simple bass lines. He didn't want over-complexity. That was something that I could give yeah. to him without him worrying about me getting, like, upset that he wasn't utilizing my skills almost like the kim deal approach to yeah exactly I, I wonder honestly if you bring something to the table too when this isn't necessarily something that you see being your career i mean the stakes are a little bit lower yeah i mean i also think that he knew though that he was he getting he, was he knew he was making a monster insofar as like he knew that you would get the taste for it that i that i had always wanted to do that it's not like he'd never seen me play music before yeah. we played mu music all over the house and and all sorts of all sorts of stuff but yeah there's also a, there was a sense of fun to it bringing back to the beginning of the conversation was a, a sense of fun between us and even when i was like 
terrified that I was going to screw up for those first few shows on stage. You know, we make each other laugh harder than anybody else. So there was always laughter. There was always joy. And that's something that I'm coming to learn in putting together my own band, how important that is. Working with musicians who are both far more talented at their instruments than I am, so they lift me up and, and make me better just by being around them, but also have that sense of play and freedom and willingness to try new things and are also great to be around. It's a serious album. The music is serious. Oh, but it's also fun. It's also funny. And that's important for me to... Like lyrically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's important for me to express to people. And I say often, yeah. obviously, if you have to tell somebody that something's <laughs> funny, it's not funny. You listen to music the first few times, you're not going to get the the subtleties of the lyrics sure um but there are like it's a maudlin album in many places is self-aware over the top sure i mean like there's a line on it like every morning is a murder there's my body and it's spread out on the sheets that song that last song actually is the saddest song i ever wrote but it's entirely composed of inside jokes with the person that it was about in that song there's real there are some moments that are just like oh wow she she went there with yeah. that line. And when I sing it on stage, I always end up laughing because I find it funny. When we're writing early on, when you know people are writing poetry, when they're teenagers, things get really earnest. Mm-hmm. And then you back away from that. And a bit of that is like humor and sarcasm. Sure. You don't want to like fall into too far into cliches, especially when writing about love or, or death or these things that have been written a million times over. Is cloaking it in humor a way of kind of protecting yourself from that? No, I think it's just it's just the way that I approach things. I mean, I have a dark sense of humor and am aware of I mean, I was that very earnest yeah. angsty teen with, you know, a wilted mohawk and an infected lip ring. I mean, like I was a complete parody of myself. Just did it all at home in the bathroom. Uh, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. With a safety pin and a sad pair of scissors. It was horrible. You got to like heat it up or something at yeah, first, right? No, <laughs> Yeah, I needed some uh, disinfectant. Yeah. It's fine. I don't have a scar. I don't know if it's cloaking it so much as just self-awareness. Yeah. And there's something about the the whole – even the whole stage show, which is – yeah, it's – it knows what, what it's up to. I mean, you see me in that Slayer video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what I'm doing when I pick up that harp and, like, put my leg up on that little thing and – and hammer out that that song or the you know that riff. There's there's something something funny about it, and it's the same thing with the Misfits covers too. You yeah. know, which um, it's hard to say with them, but I always felt like to some degree they were self aware of how funny they are. Absolutely, were. and that's that's Slayer part of maybe it. less so. Slayer less so. Slayer not funny. Yeah. but I me mean, doing funny, Slayer, but not yeah. intentionally. Well, me doing Slayer yeah, yeah. on the auto harp is funny. Yeah. What's that song? Last caress. Like that's a horrifying funny hilarious song absolutely that all i think that they were perfectly aware of what they were doing when i made those covers that was me sort of going back and twisting it the opposite yeah. way because to hear my voice especially when i'm not you know belting it out or being scary or whatever when i'm singing in a sweet higher register sing those horrible lyrics it just cuts right to the core of, of the irony of it all and you'll have diehard misfits fans who literally show up to my shows to hear those covers and then they'll come up to me after and be like man like that was a great show but your lyrics are so dark <laughs> like, dude, those are my yeah. that's the song you requested yeah. but it's so there's such a disjunction between that those original recordings which are so distorted that you often can't hear the lyrics and then when they're rearranged you know with violins and 
and whatnot. When Danzig fans are coming up to you and telling you your lyrics are dark, you're probably onto something, right? Yeah, but <laughs> then they realize that they're Danzig's lyrics, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. there's like facepalm. But yeah, no, I do have some. Well, no, I don't have anything as as dark as yeah. Last Caress. Did it not occur to you that it was something that you could pursue full time? That that music could be your main gig. It was a dream always. Yeah. I mean, like when I daydreamed, I would daydream about performing it's my songs. Funny for though, like being an actor is no less unrealistic than being a musician. For some reason, it wasn't, and it's, it has nothing to do with obviously like. To do that, I feel like to do this in the way that I'm doing this, like it is truly not about fame or money or recognition. It's yeah, I mean, for the as, love as, of what it is. And as hard as it is to be an actor, like I, I do get the feeling that like voice work compared to others, you know, presents a relatively steady paycheck. Um, if you, if yeah, if you're going, it's also anonymous. Yeah. Like you've heard my voice and you have no idea. And that's what I like about it. Mm. And that's also what I like about stage acting as well, too, is the relative anonymity of it. I mean, you have like, you have actors in your family. Does that make it a more realistic goal that sure. you've seen people in your life do it? Yeah. But I mean, again, what I would do and what my sister does my sister's a Shakespearean actress mm. based in San Francisco. It's not the same thing as what, you know, my father stumbled sure. into. Yeah. Um, and he also didn't want to be an actor. He fell headlong into that. He wanted to be a, a hoon. I mean, he's a, he's a whole different creature. When you have parents in, in, in entertainment industry, because, um, like, obviously they've seen as bad as it can get. Yeah. Were I in their shoes, like, if you want to kind of, like, almost actively dissuade your children? Um, I know a lot of parents who are like that, but yeah. mine are supportive of, they've been supportive of everything. And I think, you know, they, they let you try things. They sort of let yeah. us stumble and try, and if you screw up and you want to go do something else, then, then that's fine. But there's no... There's no harm in trying. The album is new, and this is like your first real album under your name. So it, in a, in a but way, it's my first thing. There was nothing okay. else even before oh, just that. On the record, okay. But just on the record, yeah. like nothing existed except for voice memos and two shows in a hookah bar before that record. So this is all very fresh because that was like end of last year. Right? It, I finished it in. Uh, well, I finished the tracking of it in May of 2017. Okay, but it came out. It came out the end of you know. 20 it took a year and yeah. six months or something so like we're talking yeah. i mean two, I, three months at this point yeah having transitioned between a lot of things do you feel like this is gonna be it for a while that this is your thing now that you found it yeah the the cool thing about it and um just to quickly touch back on the act, acting thing is like it's not even about like a re the realism of the career because i think also to pursue this the way that i'm doing it the way that i know a lot of people do is just entirely insane and it totally yeah. it's like a terrible business decision but it's it's for the the love of the thing and i was always afraid to sing it was singing acting i could go off and do it felt like totally easy voice work totally easy it was singing that was scary to me but now that i've sort of broken down those walls this represents the culmination of basically everything i've ever loved doing so it's performing on stage it's working with my voice. It's playing music. It's writing. I do all my own visuals and, you know, all my own videos and projections for the stage. I work with a seamstress and make my own costumes. So it's it's everything. I mean, without being like a... Uh, well, I guess there's film involved, but... Um, 
I mean, you're it's also just, like pretty hands-on with the videos as well. Oh, right? I do. Every, yeah. I do. I, I'm, that's. I mean, I don't shoot them, sure. and I work with other people who are brilliant to help me but get. But you the do craft along. services. Yeah. Well, absolutely. <laughs> of course, I do. <laughs> yeah. I'm. I've got a taco truck for the whole team, which is me and one other person. Yeah, you just go to Taco Bell and pick up a exactly. Bag, yeah. I'm the, the I'm the Trump, driver. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just go pick oh, up 300 hamburgers. I was for- just looking at that. Ranked someone ranked them in order of sadness. The photos. It's really good. It's kind of like the best and worst thing. Yeah. I kind of love it so much. I saw he's uh, an awful man, but it's kind of like so on the nose. Oh, he's terrible, but he's funny. Oh God, he really is funny, right? Yeah. Like we don't want to give him credit for it. No, I mean that's funny. why he won. That's why he won is yeah. because he had humor. It's the worst Jesus. kind of humor. It's, oh, it's like the no, worst. It's, it hurts to say. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> like. It's terrible. But every once in a while, like, the nickname comes out and you're like, I got to give him. That was pretty good. Oh, man. It's really bad. Yeah. The, I just actually saw a meme on the way over here was that picture of him standing in front of the Whoppers with his yeah, hands yeah, yeah. out and Lincoln's looking down at him like, oof, from a picture, a portrait behind. And it says, this is the moment when a time traveler comes back and realizes they screwed something up. Oh, you this know? is like, like the Back to the Future two analogies, right? The yeah. The tan and like, this is full on. This is it. Somebody out there screwed it up for all of us. <laughs> Somebody got yep. the almanac. Yep. They got into a wormhole. and You're saying that this is like a culmination of all these things you wanted to do. Yep. And yet, until everything basically lined up for you, it wasn't clear how to do it. It was sort of the opposite, too. And it was a sense of, and I actually speaking about that, I mean, people told me leading into it, nothing is going to happen for you until you lose everything. And so it was kind of the opposite of Hitting rather bottom. than, yeah, yeah, it was r- rather than everything lining up, it was everything disappeared. And Anything that I had that I knew I could hold on to, whether it was this radio job or this touring life or mortality. The idea of losing things is objective and relative. Yeah. From the outside, it means seems like you've led a reasonably charmed life. Like, what do you what do you mean when you lost everything? Well, I've had I've dealt with a lot of of pain for sure and suffering. Some that I've talked about publicly. Some that can be inferred from lyrics and um, some that I haven't even properly reckoned with myself but i guess in january 2017 it's things sort of started my mom became mortally ill and um we almost lost her i mean it was like a sure thing that she was gonna die and uh she didn't amazingly i became very sick i lost this relationship that was my best friend my musical partner my my soulmate lost my job Um, And then a whole bunch of other, I mean, totally insane. I like to say it as like, think about like Lifetime movies, like the really bad Lifetime movies that you've seen. Baxter, Bernie. That's all of that shit happened. Everything does hit at once. I mean, I think to some degree, a lot of it's sort of self-perpetuating. You deal with personal things and then this impacts your interpersonal relationships. I had a similar time a few years ago and a lot of death loss of a job and then that kills my relationship you get super internalized you get depressed sure. and like it's hard to be around somebody who's yeah. down and kind of for a while done with everything yeah it's an insane i don't know life is crazy so we're talking between january and may of 2017 so the actual time between all the shit hitting the fan and you actually recording the record was not not too long no it wasn't too long i mean their stuff was happening and happening in increments before that and s- things were sort of in flux, but it really hit when my mom got sick in January. And then I had this in, this wild experience in February that sort of changed everything. And, um, right after that, my mom became even, even more sick. And I, that's when I sort of felt like, well, there's nothing that I can, 
I can't really hold off on what I've secretly wanted to do for my whole life anymore. Like, I could go any minute. I feel like there's a little turn there in that you said I secretly wanted to do, and that's different from not realizing that you wanted to do it. Yeah. I mean, it was a combination of both. It was an unconscious, but like I said, I like when I daydreamed, I would yeah. daydream about performing my songs. I just never thought that I was capable of it. You had the songs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've You've had. Been oh, yeah. I've been writing for years and years, and I have so many songs. The barrier in 2017, 2019 between writing songs and actually having them recorded is, mm-hmm. is pretty low. Yeah, totally. So it must have been a mental block. Yeah. It was fear entirely. And um, fear is an incredible. That's. I learned through that process just what an, an incredibly powerful thing fear is, in that it can actually physically change you. So. I was afraid to sing. I could sing. I've got a naturally resonant voice. But I was afraid to sing, and so it wasn't... Even when I tried, it wasn't quite there. But once I shed all of that and let go and said, fuck it, I'm just going all in, my voice changed. Truly, I gained an octave and um, was suddenly capable of doing things that I never conceived of doing. I walked into that studio and opened my mouth and sounds came out that I never would have expected to come out of myself. And that is, that's the power of the, the mental block. I mean, you talk about meditation and there's, there's some truth to that for sure. And we, in holding ourselves back emotionally and um, spiritually, psychologically, we actually hold ourselves back from what we can physically do. How does that manifest itself? What does that sound like? How quickly do you realize that you can do more with your voice? For me, it was very quick because I had actually scheduled to go in and do this album. And then my mom was had a, a surgery go wrong and I had to go spend the week before where I should have been doing pre-production and planning and all of that in the hospital with her. And so... The time when I would have noticed that my voice had changed because I'd sort of like cast off this this lead blanket of fear was taken up with caring for her. And then when I got her blessing to go into the studio, I, studio, I went in and I literally started on the first song and opened my mouth and was like, whoa, <laughs> like, that's insane. Yeah. And there are sounds on that record that don't sound human they sound synthesized i mean you'd sung these songs at least to yourself numerous times yes but never they never sounded like they did there and not certainly not in that capacity and then when i got in there and realized oh this music that i've been hearing for my whole life that i haven't been able to pin down what exactly it is is actually my own voice that was a really big thing because there's a it's a choral record you had a clear idea of what it would sound like and didn't think you were capable of It was not so much a clear vision for what the record would sound like, so much as music that I heard in my head and sounds that I heard that I couldn't pinpoint what they were. Um, I didn't know if it was strings, certain strings tuned in a certain way, or if it was a Mellotron. I I played Mellotron with Elvis for a while, and I was like, oh, this is close to it, This these certain settings, a, a blend between choir and strings. But then when I got into the studio and I started messing around with things, I realized it was actually my voice in harmony with itself, but in this very particular way that I hear it. And um, I mean, a visual envisioning is a way of putting it, because when I, I do sort of see the world of sound, and specifically in the mixing process, it's very important to me where the sounds are laid out, and they're laid out kind of on a rainbow around me. You have a low voice. You have mm-hmm. a low speaking voice and yeah. a low singing voice on a lot of songs. You know, traditionally, when, when we tend to think of like 
female singers in the folk genre, often very high. Yeah. In a way, you're kind of bringing a different set of tools to the table. Sure, but I can sing very high. There's some notes on there that yeah. that are that are very high, and I sing harmonies with other people, and I sing. I can sing high. Do you feel like that impacts the songs that you write, knowing what you're capable of? Sure. I mean, it definitely changes how I write them and um, the arrangements. People actually push me to go lower. I'm um, more insecure about my lower singing voice than I am about my higher mm. singing voice. And that's probably just, um, you know, societally entrenched. And I assume given the classical instruments you're capable of playing that you, you had studied music for a while. I was a terrible student. I played music but didn't study in any traditional sense. I started playing piano when I was very young and was obsessed with learning songs that I had no business learning. They were way too difficult for me, and I wouldn't learn any of the theory around, surrounding it because as a child, I hated doing anything hard. Things came to me very easily. And so anything that was difficult was like physically uncomfortable. And you hated I wouldn't doing do hard it. things, but you gravitated toward the most difficult songs? Yeah, so that's the thing. is yeah. like I didn't want anything anything that was laborious, okay. really. But So I wanted ever. I, I don't. You wanted a, to be able to do it, but you didn't necessarily want to take the steps that it took to get there. That it took to get there. I didn't want to take the 12 years of piano lessons that would take me to get to this one place where I could play this Chopin waltz. I wanted to play the Chopin waltz. Sure. And I, I would, mean, that's a pretty common impulse i think sure i like to just be naturally great but what i would do is it's it was sort of counterintuitive and that instead of learning the scales or whatever i would just apply myself maniacally to one piece of music and memorize it um so i did that and then i took some guitar lessons on and off but again guitar is very hard for me it's hard for my hands it's still to this day I, I, i struggle with it so i never wanted to practice so i was a very bad student and then when it came to like learning to play with elvis Suddenly, I really had to practice music. And that's when I became obsessed with practicing and learning. And now, I mean, I work incredibly hard at growth and and growing my abilities. But how did you gravitate toward these arcane instruments? I love, I've always loved the sound of an organ. And uh, a harmonium is a pump organ. It's just, and it's small, so you can have it in your house. And it sounds beautiful. I love that sound. So that was just natural and elvis had one around and i fell in love with that sound and then the auto harp i saw at a friend's house and i looked at it and i just knew in a way that i don't feel about guitar and i don't feel about other instruments i just knew that i could be good at that guitar has been a battle my whole life and it's a battle every day but i knew with the auto harp i was like i could probably do some really cool things with that and the thing about that instrument is it's as easy or as hard as you want it to be it was initially marketed as a, an instrument for people who wanted to really, you know, learn how to play music mm. without having to learn too much because it has all the makings right there. And you can learn songs really quickly. It's got the buttons on it. And then you just can strike the strings. And if it's in tune, it's really hard to mess up. But then once you get past a certain threshold, it becomes very difficult. So it was great for me to learn new things on that and learn the basics and then from there be able to run off into some crazy territory. And I became very interested in making alternative sounds come out of it. So making it sound more like an organ than a stringed instrument or, you know, learning the picking patterns on it. Maybe you've got an advantage in that people don't bring the same set of expectations that they do to having heard a million guitar songs. Sure. I, th- I think that's the case. Although the auto harp is coming back. I know a few people who play it. It's never going to be guitar <laughs> level no. of like, you know, having heard everything from John Fahey to Jimi Hendrix. Or- yeah. Um, and I think that's, I mean, I bring that if I'm, if I may 
be so bold. I think that's why people like my guitar playing, which is always a surprise to me because mm. it's always been utilitarian and it comes out of this, these small hands and this sort of inability to do certain things with the guitar. I've had to work my way around my limitations. And so I can't have a perspective when coming into it of like, I'm going to be able to play even anything close to Jimi Hendrix or anything close to anybody, really. I just have to come at it from my own soul and own mind yeah. and, and sensibility. Because if I tried to play like anybody else, I mean, it would sound like a, you know, like a sixth grader playing Crazy Train at, at the, you know, at the guitar, I don't know. What do you call it? Pageant. Guitar pageant. Yeah, the old guitar pageant. Yeah. <laughs> I've been thinking about that, actually, that idea quite a bit as it pertains to Leonard Cohen. Sure. Who, you know, maybe approached it similarly in that, like, he was clearly a good writer and a poet. And, I mean, utilitarian is a good word. Aspects, like, to actually be able to pick up an instrument and write songs around it. And that was a huge, I think ultimately that was a huge impact on the songs that he wrote. And I get that a lot. I yeah. get that comparison a lot between... Leonard Cohen and I, I think, because of the poetry component, and then my my developed picking pattern, which wasn't intentionally influenced by his. The more people have brought it up, the more I go back and listen to the songs, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's very similar. He does something which I've been working on, which is very cool, which is he, his bass notes go a lot slower than mine, and then his higher notes are a lot faster. Mm. Well, actually, mine my, mine are all pretty much the same speed, when I pick, I can pick pretty fast with my fingers. But he's got this sort of disjunction between the, the bass notes and the higher notes that's that's a skill level above mine. Almost like providing his own bass line for the song. Yeah, which I do too, but I don't do it at that, that with that slow of a, a pace. Do you feel like your life has changed since the album has come out? Oh, yeah. My life is completely different. Um, oh, well, I mean, A, since the since I made the album, yeah. for sure. I mean, a completely different you have person. That, like, the, you have that period, though, and that, that must kill you. Of, and this took like a full year. Oh, it took two years. Between having it in the can and coming out? Well, a full... Maybe a um, year and a half? Yeah, I guess it was canned in on February 9th, 2000. Canned, yeah, that's what I decided to throw it out. <laughs> um, Start February over. 9th, 2018. But I was, you know, I was sure. doing like the tiny little... Mix adjustments, and you were maybe like emotionally, like, all right, I'm like, on yeah, this I gotta thing be done. For God's sake, I've written forty more songs since then, but yeah, it's been weird and strange to have it out. I guess my life isn't that different since it's been out, aside from the fact that a lot more people are coming to my shows sure. now. It's not just you know like family. Like, yeah. Please, please, mom, come to this show again. Um, oh, know? maybe this is something I can actually continue to do. Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting to see the and cool to see the the reaction to it. And it wasn't something I expected because, yeah. as you can, you know, as I've tried to impart on my only half of a coffee um, brain, that this was not something that I I gunned for. I, I stumbled into this and. And um, I'm still in complete shock and awe. The commitment is different than the realization that th this could be self-sustaining or something that you could continue to do. When when does that dawn on you? I don't know. if. It, hopefully yeah. sometime soon. Okay. Right. <laughs> I mean, I hope it's self-sustaining. Drop me a line. When um, yeah, I'll let you know. I guess it's mostly just uh, once you realize that for your own sense of contentment and relative happiness that you couldn't really do anything else yeah. like at this point there's not 
going back. There's no going back. Like whether this career stagnates and, and, um, or soars or tanks, I have to continue writing and playing music or else, I don't know. Yeah, I can't imagine a life without it now. There you go. That was Vera Sola. Her new record, Shades, came out late last year. Thanks to her for taking the time to do that. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, YouTube, anywhere we happen to get podcasts. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rlcast at tumblr.com. If you have any feedback, it's rlcast at gmail.com. And that's about all we got for now so stick around because we are going to be back in a few days with another episode of R.I.Y.L. 